I want you to know that God has been at work for you for centuries. Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast. It is my pleasure to introduce to you our guest speaker for today. This is Mike Schrage. He's the president of GNPI, which stands for Good News Productions International. GNPI is one of our global impact partners, and I have got a lot of good things to say about GNPI, but I'll let Mike share some of that because I don't want to steal his thunder. Uh, What I will tell you is that GNPI exists to accelerate global evangelism through media. They produce, I mean, videos, music, all types of things literally around the world to tell people about Jesus. I first met Mike when I was a student in Bible college, and this is a man that I respect, a man that I have learned a ton from, so I'm really excited for you to be able to hear from him today. Uh, If you've not been with us, I want you to know that we are in the middle of a series called Still True, Unchanging Truths That Will Change Your Life. And today, Mike is going to talk about how the Bible is still true. So Mike Schrage, everybody. Thank you, Riley. It's uh, good to be with you today. And uh, greetings from both uh, Joplin, Missouri, uh, where our office is. And just for a few minutes, I want to let you know about one, we as a global partner that you support. Uh, the ministry was founded by missionaries, thank you, and uh, his name was Zayden Nutt, and he turns out to be my father-in-law. And uh, he and Helen were missionaries in the country of Rhodesia, Zimbabwe years ago. And Later on, discovered how media could be a powerful tool in helping them as missionaries do what they were doing. Unfortunately, after about 14 years, they had to come back off the field with uh, needs that their third child, Linda, had that were both of a uh, physical and mental handicap situation. And yet there in uh, Rhodesia or Zimbabwe, they became known as GNPI uh, or GNP. Uh, for Rhodesia, later on when moving to Joplin, Missouri, it became GMPI, Good News Productions International. You have been, uh, we've been existing in creating media and sharing Jesus for 47 years. You have partnered as a church with us for 30 of those 47 years. So thank you very, very much. As a result of that, your prayers and investment over that time period, you've given well over $233,000 to invest in a global network. And what does that network look like? Well, it's 12 staff in Joplin. We're really not much of a gig over there. Where the real work happens is on the field. We've got over 100 staff, whether they're in Kenya or India or Mexico or Philippines or Ukraine, wherever, 100 staff, 24 teams in 16 nations. That's the kind of video and media network that you have built. And we believe that national is the best. So we invest in the local people creating media for local content consumption. As a result, last year, we had some statistics. It was COVID. Lots of people got hurt in lots of different ways. But for us, it was the best of times. As a result, we had media that was produced, whether 30-second clips on TikTok in Philippines, or whether it was three-minute things, or whether it was a 30-minute film. We averaged 43 productions a week. And we estimate that it was over 24,000 people that in some way moved the dial spiritually in their lives, either helping them to know who Jesus was for the first time or grow in their Christian commitment to one another and families or whatever the case may be, they were somehow discipled. And as a result of that, 
over 42, an average, 42 people a week were baptized that we know of last year during COVID. Those are things, those are people, those are eternities that you've touched and you've changed. And we just want to say thank you from the bottom of our hearts for that kind of effort and that work. And in closing, just one example is that in India, there they created, right as COVID hit, Hindi Church Online. It would be basically taking worship service online, but it would be saying we are not located in one locale, in one district, or in one city of India. This is for anyone during this time. It was very prophetic and very profound because it moved from what people were doing in a church next to our studio that was about 1,000 strong. By Easter, they had 5,000 online. And they thought, well, that was a bump, that was Easter, and that's an abnormality. Well, it continued, and 5,000 moved to 100,000 devices. It moved to 200. At the peak of COVID, the peak of this ministry was reaching 640,000 devices a week. And if you do just two people, yeah, amen. And if you're just having two people per device, per phone, per iPad, per computer, laptop, whatever, you've got over a million people in a country with a billion people, most of them Hindus or Muslims who don't know Jesus. That was a fabulous way to reach into the hearts and into the homes, into the phones and into the devices of people in that country in relevant ways with the good news of Jesus Christ. We have a short, uh, a small display there at the hub and be happy to visit with you after that. The Bible. It's true, church. For those of us here, amen. For those of us here and those of us online, the Bible is true. You can knock it, you can burn it, you can throw it away, but it's still true. I want you right now, if you're here with me, I want you to hold up your edition. Hold it up, whether on a phone, whether a book, however you've got it, hold it high. This is, this is our constitution. This is what God wants me to hear, listen, and follow, amen? And that's what we're gonna camp out and listen to today. Now, before I get into the message, I wanna let you know that there are I've done a bit of reading and I give credit to about three different sources. There's Six Dangerous Questions, a little bitty great book by Paul Borthwick. There's A Light Into My Path, a book by Dr. Jim Dennison. And then there's also Real Life Theology Handbook by Daniel McCoy and Andrew Jitt. Uh, I want to give credit to those authors for a little of, of the content that's, that's in what I'm about to share today. But the best content comes from God's words, which says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And if I can give you the big idea right out the gate, it is this, that God's book changed me, hopefully changed you, but he, it changed me because I discovered the God of the book. It changed me. I had my first Bible when I was 20 years old as a junior at a university. And it changed me. I later went to Kenya as a missionary. 
And one of the nights early on, I was going ahead and walking from a set of where we were having a meeting back to our compound, and I had my little flashlight hold here, and I'm holding it, you know, and I was nervous. I'm a new missionary guy out in the bush of Africa, you know, and I got my light there watching about all these crawly critters and snakes or something, you know, and I'm doing that. And finally, I'm going on, and I'm stumbling or whatever, and I'm about to step in a ditch and so forth, and then finally, <laughs> one of the Kenyans who knows English tapped me on the shoulder and said, brother, <laughs> turn off your light so you can see. That little flashlight is focusing on one little piece and it's causing you a problem. You can't walk. You can't, you can't get the overall view. And so I did. I turned off my flashlight and lo and behold, about 20 seconds, my eyes accumulated to the darkness and acclimated and the moonlight was there. And sure enough, I could see every twig. I could see animals. I could see rocks. I could see where I was going. <laughs> Imagine. He knew what he was talking about. Turn off the light so we can see. Now, we see and hear that the Bible is indeed a light into my path. Don't misunderstand. But for a moment, we want to, whatever criticisms, whatever myths, whatever questions people have put through in the centuries and down to now in your life about the Bible, let's put them off for just a moment and look at the 30,000-foot view of what this book has become. I want you to know that God has been at work for you for centuries. Not just to give you salvation through his son, but to intentionally lay down a roadmap and a book so that you could have it. It's so intentional and marvelous that there were 40 men in three different languages over 1,500 years almost that wrote down what God wanted them to say so that we would have the Bible today. Now, they were not all scribes and great journalists and writers. No, no, they were farmers and herdsmen and physicians and the like. And yet they were carried along, as the scriptures say, by the hand of God to write what God wanted them to record. And so very quickly we see that the Bible is indeed accurate. There have been all kinds of ways that people have tried to show it's inaccurate, whether by science or by archaeology or by whatever means, and they come up short. Archaeology, for example, people said, ah, it said that there was a certain civilization and village at a certain place and so forth. They dig. There's nothing there. The Bible's wrong. Flashlight on that spot. It's wrong. God says, turn the light off. Go down and dig deeper. They dig deeper and they find, oh, there was another civilization before that, predated it. So the Bible uh -huh, is true again. Over and over, this would be what would happen. Whether it was historically challenged, archaeologically challenged, scientifically, it was challenged. You know, it says in the Bible that we, we, we don't have, we lost some time or that the earth was round. In a time when people said, no, the earth is flat. Uh, they're wrong. Loose in time, there is in scripture that talks about the time when the sun set still. Remember that story? 
Literally, there is missing time, and people who do that kind of research have documented there is missing time in what we have been able to measure. Amazing. Whether it's prophecy, Jesus has fulfilled over 300 prophecies hundreds of years before so that it would tell him what village he was in, what his name would be, what tribe he would come from, what his station would be in life, and how he would even die. And mark after mark, Bible verse after Bible verse, it would be shown true. You know there are over 5,600 different fragments of handwritten piece of the Bible, of the New Testament alone, rather, that we have to affirm the veracity of the translations. No other text, no other work in all of humankind has that much backup data. Why? Because God wants you to know without a shadow of a doubt, my words from history, Old Testament, and my words from my son are true. Church, they're true. We need to understand that. And there were times where there would be even non-Christians who would speak about but verify what it was that was happening as being true. There were the 10 disciples and apostles themselves who gave their very lives to say, this is true. I will die for this book. I will die for the truths in there. Will you? And finally, we see that the New Testament has so many continued manuscripts, even whole, that are attesting to the fact that what we hold in our hands, our scroll and our device, is God's words. Do you read them? Now, true, there may be some inconsistencies. There may be some, some torch, some light that flashes on it every once in a while and says, well, but those translators, I'm not sure they got all that right. And how they count and numbered, you know, we got one number that says this was that many people went into Egypt. And then there's another place that says this many people in Egypt or this many people walked on the ark and this many people walked on the ark. But for a moment, we need to understand that those small inconsistencies, take that light off that, look at the big picture, and understand the incredible body of work that God has done called the Bible. It is coherent, it is consistent, it is compelling. It is poetic, it is revealing, and it is relevant. It is, after all, God's book, it is true, and it is for me. Did you know that there's over 5 billion copies printed of the Bible alone, and we get into the digital form, ha, we have no idea. Most popular book on the planet. Now, in translation, you know, there were earlier, they wrote in languages you and I don't speak. And so around the 1500s, a guy by the name of William Tyndale decided that the commoner, the common person, needed to have access to the Bible. It could no longer be a book that was for the rich only. Because it was very expensive because it had to be handwritten and the scribes and it took excruciating detail and hours and years. So it was a very expensive book. But he deciding to go ahead and say, no, I need to translate and put it into the common language of English and then having it replicated with the printing press would be a way that would just continue to escalate the knowledge of the common person like you and me to know about the words of this book. 
As he did that, he finished the Old Testament in about, or the New Testament in about 11 years. And as he started to get into the process of dedicating the rest of his life for the Old Testament, the king at that time of England did not like this process that he was doing and had him imprisoned, later strangled, and later burned at the stake for simply translating from one language, Latin, to English. Three years after his death, another king of England would come along. His name was James. And yes, you're probably ahead of the story. The King James Version was finally finished in 1611. And some of you probably continue to have copies and or even quote and read from that copy and version of the Bible some 500 years ago. But let me tell you for a moment the fact that it's not just been dangerous for people like William Tyndale to go ahead and write down and translate the Bible. Here in your own state of Indiana, can I tell you a story? Did you know for a fact that you as the state of Indiana here and so forth, that back in 1991 you had six state-owned hotels in state parks? Did you know that? I didn't know that. But as a result, the Gideons, remember the Gideons? Their work, what do they do? Any of those who you travel, you go into a hotel room, you pull open the drawer next to your bed, and what do you find? You find a Bible. So the Gideons wanted to put a Bible in all those six state-owned hotels, and they had a lawsuit threatened on them to the Gideons that said, no, you can't do that unless you do this. You print a warning label on every Bible. Warning, literal belief in this book may endanger your life and your health. You can't make this stuff up. But it's true. <laughs> so we have William Tyndale who was killed at the stake. We have this warning label that in our own state, in the, in the Bible belt for crying out loud. But it continues on from there. We have Lee Strobel, a man who was at one time very much satirical towards scriptures and very much didn't believe in what was the Bible and was going to prove as a journalist, fact-finding, state-of-the-art, very keen-minded individual that the Bible was false. It was a myth. And so he set out doing that. Oh, lo and behold, he wound up becoming a believer of the book and a follower of the God of the book and is now one who defends, you may have read some of his works, about the Bible, about Christ and his church. You see, he represents a large number of people who have taken on God and every time have lost. Whether they were like Saul taking on his church and bodily farm, he lost. Whether it was going with journalism and to prove textually that the Bible is not true, these are myths, these are story tales, he has lost. Is it touching you, Christian? Do you believe this body of work? And it continues. Jim Warner Wallace a renowned criminologist from the L.A. Police Department, says there's four ways that we take a witness for particularly cold cases. There's four specific criteria that have to be fulfilled for us to take their testimony. And he says, as I read through the historical accounts of the Bible, and that particularly of the apostles of Jesus Christ, those apostles clicked off and ticked off all four. They are, according to a leading criminologist, verifiable witnesses of what they both saw and heard and was recorded. Former White House counsel Chuck Colson says that Watergate helped prove to him the veracity and authenticness of the Bible and that it was true. He watched 10 of the most powerful men in 
Washington at the Watergate trial cringe and begin to crumble with their testimony. They couldn't keep their story straight. Now, they were under threat of perjury. But back up until the 10 apostles, they were threatened with their very lives. No story changed. No one crumbled under the scrutiny. And most of all, they gave their very lives. That is a special book. I have GMPI fellows that um, they are in Ukraine. If you have two copies of the Bible, they, the government will say, ah, 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 you're wanting to give one of the ways you're doing evangelism, you can go in jail. Or I have friends like Timothy Punksar in Myanmar that if you're caught with a Bible alone, you can be put in prison with heavy fines in that Buddhist country. Or my dear friend Yasir Eric, a former Muslim from the country of Sudan, who has gone ahead and said he knows time and time again people that were marginalized, women that were raped, people who lost their businesses, people who, who were killed ultimately in our day and time for simply having the book. How do we treat the book? My friends, we have to understand that there is a warning label. But it is not about the fact that you will be damaged, but it is that if you don't read this book, you will be in darkness and you will not know the truth and the heart of God. For no prophecy has ever been produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It is God's book. You know, if we look at the world, we see this fabulous masterpiece of creation that kind of runs like a gigantic software program in the background. And we're told in Romans that we just look up and see the stars, look up and see and study and know the multiplicity and the increase of it. That would be enough. It should be. But if it's not, for us as human beings, God says, I've got a backup plan. It's called my words. It's called the word of God. It's called the Bible. And there is like a fine-tuned Swiss watch. The engineering, the ability to verify and to quantify and to go through. And it itself stand under any scrutiny to verify the fact it holds God's words. All scripture, therefore, is breathed out by God. Profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. Heaven and earth, they're going to pass away, church. Earth is groaning. But my words, Jesus said, will never, never pass away. The Bible is both authoritative, relevant, and most of all, transforming. It is the constitution of the church. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who's built his house upon the rock. Mark 8.38, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them as he comes into his Father's glory with the holy angels. And all the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are. And with authority and power, he gives an order. Impure spirits as they come out. So what will we do? with that book. Do we read it? Do we consume it? 
You know, when I dated my wife, Carolyn, 41 years ago, we communicated a lot by letters. And there was a time when if you would have grabbed one of just one of my letters, you could have gotten a very skewed perspective on who Mike was. <laughs> we worked out a lot of theology, a lot of relational things through letters. But if you even took all of the letters, and my wife has saved all of them, there's one or two I wish I could snag and burn. But if you took all those letters about Mike, you still wouldn't know all of Mike because the question would be, whether one letter or all, the question at the end of the day is, did you meet Mike? So as we read the Bible, as we memorize scriptures, as we carry it and document it and scroll through it and quote it in times of trouble, my question to you and to me is, has it transformed you? Have you met the God of the Bible, the God of all truth, the God who died and is living and wants you to have his heart and his roadmap of what we call the Bible? A rabbi once said these words, the important thing is not how many times you have read and been through the Talmud, their holy book, but whether the Talmud has been through you. Has the Bible, church, been through you? Or as one Buddhist once said, to know and not use is really not to know. So are you using the scriptures? You know, there are incredible ways that not only with 5 billion copies printed of the Bible, there are 1,838 languages in which the Jesus film, just one part of the story from the Bible, is being replicated over and over and over. So as I started, I end. I love this book because at age 20, I picked it up and I read it cover to cover and I discovered the God of the book. So this week, Christian, would you go and go to your scriptures and go to the Bible and go to the fact that it, knowing it's true and would you discover the God of the book? You know, as I mentioned, maybe, um, I think it is, that as a missionary in Kenya. When we came, we didn't know the language of Swahili. There were just, I joined a team with three other families, and we didn't have lots of strategy. We didn't have lots of money. We didn't have much at all. All I knew was a conviction in my heart that this book was true. And so after I learned the language and six months started preaching and teaching and talking and sharing wherever and whomever I could share it with about the words of this book. And after 10 years, there was uh, 7,000 people who accepted the words of this halting missionary, not because of the eloquence of his speech or that of his team, but because these words are true and their spirit aligned with the spirit of Almighty God. And they said, yes, we too will join his church. We too are going to be people of this book. And so 127 churches. And later on, we would continue to multiply and those people would become missionaries to places like southern Sudan and to Tanzania and to other places around East Africa. And as I look now and I think, my goodness, the only thing I had was the book. 
and it transformed thousands of people's lives. Has it transformed yours? I pray it has. And if you today are one of those who feels, I don't know about the truth of this book. I'd love to have a conversation. Do your research and be like that journalist or like that criminologist and walk away convinced. Peace.